Hello. 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 And welcome to Mobilize. Mobilize is a podcast that puts a spotlight on and is a resource for people, people, friends, communities, communities activists, activists who've decided to stand up, resist, 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 fight back, mobilize. Each day, together, together, we shine a light on the we truth. Shine a light on the we truth. focus on the things that unite us. We pull each other up. We celebrate, we celebrate our, our shared humanity. humanity. Episode 28, Creating Change in New York's Forgotten Borough. Lori Honor is a Democratic activist and organizer. She was one of the founders of Staten Island Women Who March, a progressive not-for-profit engaging Staten Island women in social action, which started creating grassroots change in the Staten Island Democratic Party by changing the face of the borough's county committee. She then went on to become director of community outreach for Max Rose's winning congressional campaign in 2018, which flipped the district blue. Now she's running for Staten Island Borough President, facing several candidates in a busy Democratic primary that takes place in June. I spoke with Lori about how she got involved in activism, what she seeks to accomplish as Borough President, and where she sees New York's most conservative borough heading now that we are hopefully in the post-Trump era. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks for doing this. Oh my gosh, thank you for this. I'm not one of those people who are uh, who are zoomed out. Like I don't right. do I don't do it as often as other people do it. So right. I'm like, oh, I get to zoom with somebody today. I'm actually <laughs> excited about it. Cool. So first just tell me about you, your background, how you got involved because I knew you were an activist before you started running yourself. Yeah. You know, I I've been a socially active person politically active for the last couple of years, certainly since the Trump election really ramped up. I used to just want to do civic things, you know, have dinner with people, do yoga with people, go to book clubs, you know, just community connecting. I was like really, really just hardwired for that. That led me to get people who were not, especially women, who were not part of political movements to become more political, really more issue-driven which I think is very female. It allows women more jumping in points when you're talking about, oh, you know, did you know our congressman is voting against repeal the ACA? Or do you know that he said he wasn't going to get involved in the Muslim ban and now he is? And it was so easy for me to start inviting people back to the dining room table to do something more than doing wine tastings, (laughs) which is also important. But (laughs) it was using these social networking that I had already been doing for many, many years And that was like a natural way for organizing. What I've read, one of the first things you did was Staten Island Women Who March. So tell me about that organization and how that came into existence. I guess we had heard about the Women's March like in December. And we're like, oh, well, let's let's just like start making hats and let's start meeting together the way so many, you know, women were meeting together all over the country. And that just like grew and grew and grew. And then the Women's March community started to form. So then there were like regular meetups. And then from that, I was identified by the Women's March because of something I had written. They were looking for a woman from every borough and I was selected as like the woman from Staten Island. So I did like a video for Women's March and that gave me more juice moving me and my community forward. 
I think coming from Staten Island, we're always like a little bit of a unicorn. Like when you say you're from Staten Island, you get like, ooh, what's going on there? Like, what's it like? And you're like, you don't seem like you'd be from Staten Island. And I'm like, yeah, there's like 475,000 people. There's a big swath of Dems from very progressive. We have a Democratic Socialist group here. And then we have like regular horrified people. (laughs) We're just like, how do we get out of this? So we all got on the bus, you know, went down to Washington. Some of us uh, stayed in New York, but we all, like, as a community, were involved. So when we get back, I guess the after March unpacking was at our local brewery. And we probably had 250 women there. And it was just like, okay, I guess we have something. (laughs) What do we do? How do we keep women engaged? And how do we start making change? And from that moment on, we had two goals in mind. We wanted to flip the district and we wanted to change the face of the local county committee. Our Democratic county committee was very white, very male, and very stagnant. Mm. And we did both of those things in a short time. Mm, That's exciting. How did you change the makeup of the county committee? Because that is something I'm becoming more interested in. There's a real, you know, old guard that sort of maintains control and seems pretty opposed to, to change in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's like a who knew thing. Like, who, who knew about county committee? Like, like, you always hear about elections, but you don't know the structure. And so county committee provides the structure. Um, in, in a really effective county committee, it provides education and it, it provides a bench grooming people for running for office in down elections. It's a volunteer position, so you're running to really represent your community. I didn't think that we had a very healthy county committee, and I thought it was really clear that we didn't because we had so many Dems and we were losing elections. The voter base was there, but the excitement and the liveliness wasn't there. I felt like people were coming into the movement and were disappointed, and then they weren't engaging because the county committee in Staten Island, it wasn't reacting to the current. It was very outdated. So being on county committee, sort of the head of county committee, can say like, oh, here's an open seat. You want it? Here, it's yours. You go once a year, you know, you hear what the slate is and you get to vote. And we all thought that we were going to vote. And so many of us had been purged without even knowing it. So there was a lot of like shenanigans and real like backroom dealings. And we just felt like, oh, once we know how to play the game, we learn how to change the game. And we did. You were able to get new people on the county committee. Yeah. I mean, in the in the hundreds. Mm. Wow, Um, that's fantastic. The county committee is what really got people mad at us because we were driving with intentionality of not taking it over but having it be shared. And there were some people who do not want to share. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Tell me specifically about your role in the Max Rose campaign, your director of community outreach. So how did that come about and what did that involve? I met him um, when we were doing protests in front of Dan Donovan's office, educating the community about what was going on with our current legislator, Muslim ban, Dan Donovan, ACA. Dan Donovan, not speaking out against ice deportations of members of his own community. I was really looking for not the usual suspects that the county committee was putting in front of us. So I'm like, okay, here's a guy. He's got healthcare experience. He was CEO of a major provider in Staten Island. He had social justice chops from Brooklyn. He worked with the DA and he was a veteran. It was just getting people out and giving them an, an opportunity to participate. And people were waiting for it. Again, I think that's a failure of the local Democratic committee is that they weren't able to do that. So working for Max Rose was real joy. It gave me a lot of pleasure in playing a part in the team that delivered that seat, finding votes 
from women in particular who constantly felt like they were the only one in their communities that felt the way they did. And then me being able to sort of like gather them all up and deliver them to each other. Like, hey, no, here's a whole community. That's the excitement of leadership. And that's activism and advocacy. That's where they meet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me about the position of borough president. What is the job? So the job of borough president, it can be very vague in that it really takes on the personality and the timber of the person who is borough president from borough to borough. It can change enormously. Right. The real meat of it or the real teeth of borough president is in land use. So development and application and approval. And also the bully pulpit, because essentially the borough president can ring the bell and say like, hey, everybody, this is happening in our community. I'm not sure it's a good thing. So for me, I think it's a perfect fit because I really think the borough president is an activist. So it's what do you want the face of your borough to look like? How do you want to create transparency about what's happening in the borough? How do you want to communicate that to your constituents? And also, how do you want to present your borough and be the best advocate for your borough, for people who don't know Staten Island. Right. I think I saw that you were able to, to appoint members to the community board. There's three community boards in Staten Island, each representing a, a part of the island, South Shore, North Shore, and Mid-Island. Anything that's happening in the community, whether a bar needs a new liquor license, whether a restaurant wants to open up, it's a place where citizens get to go to voice things that are going on, whether trash isn't being collected, whether there's an empty lot and they want to make a community garden, they want to know who owns it. You know, it's like the first point of contact between a community and a small legislative body. Again, it's all volunteer, but they are important because they make land use decisions. It could be like a multi-billion dollar project and it goes to these people who are like volunteer citizens. So it's very important that we know who's on the community board and what they're doing and what their point of view is. There's no term limits. So you can get people who are good at what they do. Like they have a lot of community knowledge, but you can also get people who maybe need to be cycled out. So you really have to investigate. And that's a priority for me. Like the diversity of representation is very, very important. Because it's volunteer, it tends to attract a certain type of person who's like financially stable. They don't have to worry about babysitting or public transportation or homework, you know, getting kids to bed. So I think it tends to skew, again, white male here on Staten Island. Also, I'm always looking into like, are they accessible? Are they handicapped accessible? Like, so I really want to make sure that anyone who wants to serve on a community board I want to make sure they have the opportunity to serve and I want to hear the reasons why they couldn't. And then I want to overcome those barriers. Right, right. That's great. And what are some of the other things you're thinking about working with the mayor, working with Mm -hmm. the city council? Like, what are your roles specifically there? Well, Staten Island has this reputation of not getting their fair share. And it really does translate into almost like a mindset here. People really call themselves a forgotten borough. And they it's almost like charming in, in how gruff and sort of cranky we are, or our reputation at least. But it's rooted in something real. Like we do pay higher taxes than any other borough, percentage-wise. Because we're homeowners, typically single-family homes, we bear the brunt of a lot of unfair real estate taxes. So as borough president, I would want to at least explain that so that people would at least understand that there is an inequity, and then I would want to work to unravel it. So I feel like that's like a high ticket thing that would make people feel more visible. And it's hard to get on and off our island without paying a lot of money. Our tolls are ridiculous. Um, And the MTA has a, a way of 
pitching something to us, like something bad is going to happen, and then making it not quite so bad, but still taking something away from us. For instance, they just took away a carpool discount. So we were all like, okay, at least they didn't take our resident discount away. But we want to be a greener community. And to take away something that would encourage people to use less individual cars, it's like going backwards. And it's a very consistent sort of a pecking that the city does to us. And I think that it it does affect us. It affects even our own self-worth. Like we just feel like we aren't doing more than holding ground a lot of time. Hmm. Why do you think the city is, you know, takes away stuff like that? I mean, is it just a way of making more money or? I think it's a bureaucracy that doesn't really see us. We're high contributors because we pay more taxes and we're lower uh, density. So we're maybe we're like, hey, we're not losing too many votes. And if we mess with Staten Island, they'd piss at us anyway. So, you know, what's the big deal? (laughs) But I really want to, I want to change that because I think Staten Island is one, it's absolutely beautiful. It is a beautiful, beautiful, green, lush, parkland-type place. I don't think many people in New York would really see it that way. So I feel like I want to use that in my administration. I'm really excited to, one, represent Staten Island. You know, my Staten Island is very different than maybe the perception. But also, like, capitalize on it. I want to monetize it. I want to make it an economic driver. I think Staten Island could be an ecotourism destination for New York. I think that should be a really cool long-term goal. We have golf courses here. We could be, like, trekking cross-country skiing in the winter. And if we could outfit you the way we outfit you with golf clubs in the summer. And I also think about the beaches. I mean, I think the beaches in Staten Island are great. I want people to bring their bikes. I want them to rent kayaks. I want them to learn how to windsurf. And we have campsites here too. Like you could come and camp by a beach and now they're clean. I swim here all the time. Like I'm a distance swimmer and I swim in the ocean. We have a group here called Swimmers of Anarchy. And um, (laughs) they're like wetsuit swimmers. And it became like a COVID community. So I believe that many, many Staten Islanders are really in love with Staten Island and really take advantage of the real good quality of life that they have here. Why don't we create that for the city, you know, and with the city? Why doesn't the city partner with us instead of fight with us? Right. It does feel like it's separate. And I guess that breeds some sort of insular perspective. And yet the majority of people work in the city. It's not like we're isolated. We interact with the rest of the city all the time. I think we're perceived as separate. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about who's here and what we do. But I also think there's a lot of truths in the hard work that we have to do to get better. Social justice, environmental justice, opportunity, job growth. Our schools are pretty segregated. It's pretty openly segregated schools. So I think that there are beautiful opportunities here and real topical growth, like things that are in the mindset of the whole country exist here. And so I'm very excited to make Staten Island a model. Here's our baseline. Here's our goals. This is where we're going. Do you think it's challenging running as a progressive in Staten Island? I don't really say I'm running as a progressive in Staten Island. I let my work speak for who I am and my values and the women that have come along with me. I think I had a lot of boxes checked for intersectionality for a lot of people. As a feminist, I was considered a feminist leader. As a person who had a a child in the military, my kid was in the Marines. I'm a business owner. I was a teacher, so I came from a union family. You know, my mom is an immigrant, was, you know, a victim of bias, uh, like so many of our young immigrants and families here. So I just felt like people who wanted to disagree with me found it very hard. (laughs) I, I feel like... I don't want to write anybody off. Like, if you feel like we can agree on something, I don't think it's a cop-out to say, I don't want to shut people out because 
they were affiliated with somebody who had the worst behavior of any human being and the worst American values. And simultaneously, I don't want to shirk the responsibility of representing my lane. I am running as a proud Democrat. I don't know how to do it. I don't even know how to say it the right way to make it not sound like a cop-out. But because the makeup of my community is very red and very blue, I want to figure out a way to be like Virginia and make it more purple. I am still super idealistic and hopeful. I don't think that's a party. I think that's a person. Yeah. It sounds like you really want to leave the Trump era behind in that sort of divisive politics. Are you getting the sense of what a lot of people want on Staten Island? I think they want to move forward without forgetting, right? We have a woman who's running against me who was at the insurrection. That's a fact. That's something I'm not going to not bring up because I do not ever want to see that again in my life. That was the point where I said I have to run. When I heard that she was running, we lost our seat to Nicole Maliotakis, duly elected in a fair election, And then she goes and she votes as if the rest of the country wasn't a fair election. Well, why don't we recount all your votes? No one said that in my community. No one said, where's the disconnect? So that type of not just double talk, but double dealing, I was never going to put up with that in my community. Do you think that was a popular move for her? What have you heard of reactions from Staten Islanders about her making that choice? I think she's going to be the next Dan Donovan. I think people are going after her hard. I don't think she has the chops to, to talk her way out of it. And I think after Trump, I don't think she's going to have the votes to win her way. Resign Nicole is a popular hashtag already. So, Do you think that's going to be an advantage for Democrats this time around for borough president, that Trump's not going to be out there? Because there are, you know, I think there's five or six Democrats running now. I think that's great because it, that's the most lively competition that I've ever seen. Like, usually we're like, oh, who's going to run for our president this time? You know, now we have, like, a lot of good candidates. I think it's about what women on this island built. There's a livelier democratic process here, in great part to what we contributed and what we created. And I think people are seeing, like, there's a lot of potential for other voices to be heard. That's what we wanted. <laughs> 